Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. We're celebrating this coming Friday's renaming of Park Place as Wayne Shorter Way and chat with Shorter's classmate from Arts High School, Howard Bowles. Wayne Shorter, I can say now that he was always prepared, always on key. Today is Record Store Day. We'll celebrate the Mingus Way. This was an album that sat on the shelves, the original multi-track tape reels, these eight-inch glorious tape reels at the shows in August of 1972. The Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater returns to NJPAC in Newark for Mother's Day weekend. It's also the 10th anniversary for artistic director Robert Battle. It's hard to believe it. We've been talking for 10 years. And WB Joe's John Kalish has the story of a new musical project from some New York City musicians. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. On April 29th at 5 p.m., WBGO will celebrate the renaming of the street on which the station resides in honor of one of Newark's own legendary jazz artist, saxophonist, and composer, Wayne Shorter. Earlier this year, the Newark City Council unanimously approved WBGO's proposal to rename Park Place after Shorter, an NEA Jazz Master, Kennedy Center honoree, and multiple Grammy Award winner, once known as the Newark Flash. Shorter grew up in the Ironbound section of Newark and attended Newark Arts High. And our guest today on the WBGO Journal is also a graduate of Arts High in Newark, Howard Bowles. Howard, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So were you in the same class or were you a year or a year after Wayne? Wayne was actually ahead of me, but we played in the band together. Yeah, and you, you have played timpani and you're a singer. Of course, we'll talk about your, your arts and designer career as well. But do you remember one of the first times you encountered Wayne Shorter? What was he like as a youngster? I recall Wayne coming through the halls of Arts High one day. He was by himself walking through the corridor. I noticed that he was illustrating playing a, a saxophone and actually nodding his head. So he actually had some music going on in his head. And this was not strange for, for Wayne because he did this all the time. I just thought it was a little uh, different, but realizing we were in a uh, music environment, I understood very clearly. Arts High, for you, uh, you and I spoke briefly yesterday, was a special place. So I imagine when you were in the band with Wayne, you knew there was something special going on at that high school, right? A lot of talent was getting together. A lot of talent. And there was a lot of talent that graduated that went on to become famous. And I always anticipated Wayne doing just that. And he did. What was it about him that you knew he was somebody special? Because as you mentioned, there's a lot, there was a lot of talent going on there, but I'm sure he was one of the tops. When did you first realize this guy could make it big? Well, we had uh, a jazz uh, band. And we had a uh, very serious band that played operas and things like that. Wayne Shorter, I can say now that he was always prepared, always on key, 
always ready to tune up and play when we started anything. So he was, he had to be uh, one of the top and one of the best. Was he funny in high school? Was he, it sounds like he was super serious. Super serious. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Mr. D'Amico, our music instructor, band leader, and later became the head of music for uh, uh, Newark, New Jersey. I can recall him looking up, looking over to to Wayne and and raising his baton. And I mean, it was just quick responses. And this was not sometimes, it was always. He was a man of perfection. a certain tune that Wayne has created that really touches you or makes you think of the days at Arts High? No, not really one, because Wayne Shorter is uh, not just a a good musician, but he's a person that makes you want to listen. As a matter of fact, at, at one point, there was about five of us from the school that used to call each other. Did you hear Wayne's new piece? Or did you hear that he's with this person, that person? It, it was always exciting. As you hear his music, what do you think about? Why do you like his music? Not only is it the the, uh, the sound that he, he, he's been able to create, but um, he pours his soul in it and you can hear it. You can feel it. You're pretty active on social media, I understand. That's how you keep in touch with uh, with friends and classmates, huh? As a matter of fact, I've spoken to someone, I think it was just last month, I haven't seen or heard from in years. I would like to say that Arts High, out of every adventure or, or, or thing that I've done, sticks out in my mind and in my heart more than anything else, even all the traveling that I've done. I've been to 134 countries. I've lived in five. The art side keeps coming up over and over and over. That's quite a travel schedule that you had through the years. First of all, congratulations on your upcoming 90th birthday. That's that's a great milestone, Howard. And uh, obviously, you've had a wonderful life. And uh, as you mentioned here, a lot of it has to do with uh, being a student at Arts High. How about yes. as far as your career is concerned, what would you want to tell our audience about being in design that we should know? Well, I attended Parsons Institute. After uh, going there, I didn't come out and try to immediately do the fashion design because I, I had some interior decorating in, in my mind. And uh, for one year after that schooling, I tried doing interior decorating, but I found out that the person that had hired me to do the, the work for him had, had actually stolen five of my pieces and was actually reproducing them. I was only making $65 a week at the time, uh, which was I thought was good money. But... Um, that turned me off from 
interior decorating, and that's and that's why I got into fashion designing. The stage is yours now to say anything you want to Wayne Shorter. Uh, yes, uh, I, I'd, I'd really. Uh, I wish I was able to uh, come up and and uh, he would he would be there. I wish him nothing but the ultimate and best in everything. Uh, he's given um, his heart, and you can you can you can still tell it in his music. I understand he's doing a, an opera now. The man is a genius. And I recognize him for that. We've had a lot of fun talking to you, Howard, and we, we wish you the best of health as well. Hang in there because uh, you're all obviously a gem and you're a product of Arts High and a proud product of Arts High School and a classmate of the incredible Wayne Shorter. Thanks for spending some time with us on the WBGO Journal. You're welcome. Thank you. Today is Record Store Day, and Renaissance Records, the top U.S. independent label for previously unreleased jazz treasures, is issuing The Lost Album from Ronnie Scott's, a volcanic never-before-1972 club performance by bassist composer Charles Mingus's powerful sextet. It's a 3LP and comes out one day after what would have been Mingus's 100th birthday. Residence co-president Zeb Feldman. Well, first of all, I want to say Charles Mingus is an artist who has inspired me deeply since my teens. He's a bassist, a pianist, a composer, an activist, an artist, a poet. You know, he just embodies everything about being a creative person and someone who just, you know, he, he just emitted art and was a creative person. And he's just this larger than life figure in the music. And we talk about this time in the early 1970s from him where, you know, there was a great amount of wonderful music being made. One of my favorite records was Let My Children Hear Music, which happens right in the same window. But this was an album that sat on the shelves, the original multi-track tape reels, these eight inch glorious tape reels that were recorded by a mobile fidelity truck um, at the shows in August of 1972, they sat with Sue Mingus and they really are a testament of going the distance. My co-president at Resonance Records, the founder of our label, George Klaben and I said some time ago, years and years ago, we said, wouldn't it be great if who were the artists that would be just wonderful we found something unissued from? And Charles Mingus was such at the top of the list. And we wanted to pay forward this love that we do with a lot of our releases on the label. But it is a project that we have literally been pursuing. I had to look back at a thread of emails with Sue Mingus. It goes back to 2011. 11 years it took us for this project to come together and staying the course and being tenacious 
and doing everything that we need to do. Feldman says the live set comprises nearly two and a half hours of music. It was relatively new at this point of, uh, of his uh, creative output. Orange was the color of her dress, then Silk Blues is one that comes to mind. But there are also these wonderful tunes, The Man Who Never Sleeps, Mind Readers Convention in Milano, this just, it just is all Charles Mingus. And this is a wonderful band featuring, as you were mentioned, John Faddis on trumpet, the great alto saxophonist Charles McPherson, who played with Mingus longer than anyone else, 12 years to be exact, Bobby Jones on tenor saxophone, John Foster on piano, and not just on drums, but on musical saw, the late, great Roy Brooks, who's also an inspiration to me and many others, too. But we, we really wanted to build an experience. I wanted to transport people back. I wanted to gather the voices that mattered. Residence co-president Zeb Feldman, who co-produced the Scots material for release with David Weiss and says this is the lost chapter in Mingus's history. Joining us on the WBGO Journal, is an incredible artistic director, and we've come to know him well here on the WBGO Journal. Robert Battle is the artistic director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and the theater is back, strong as ever. America's beloved cultural ambassador to the world is the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and coming to Newark again on the weekend of Mother's Day, and that's become a tradition, hasn't it, Robert? Absolutely. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, that we have Mother's Day during that time, especially being in Newark and, you know, the culture and everything about it is is awesome. It's also awesome that Robert Battle has now been in place for 10 years. You're celebrating your 10th anniversary as the artistic director. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. We've been talking for 10 years every year. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. But it's always one of the things I look forward to each and every year is talking to you, Robert, because you know that this dance theater is very near and dear to my heart, and so are you. This time, I don't get to see your beautiful rings in person, so we'll have to do it via via Zoom today. But coming up, you have a world premiere for four. Talk about that special performance. Well, this work I created, of course, during the pandemic, and we were still social distancing and everything. Uh, That's kind of why I used four dancers. And I had recently, before that, done an interview with Wynton Marcellus via Zoom because we were doing, you know, a program talking about uh, Alvin Ailey's uh, collaboration with the late great composer Duke Ellington. And so we had had a conversation about Duke's music and then so he was at the top of mine. And so I utilized uh, one of his scores uh, for 4-4. Uh, Del Feo's Dilemma uh, is the name of the, the, the tune, as it, would, as it were. And uh, it's really fun. I think it speaks to uh, the excitement to finally get back in the studio, even though we had all these uh, protocols that we had to follow and testing and the rest. But to be creative in a time where we were sheltered in place, I think the the work has this this fierce energy 
of now. Um, and then in the middle of the ballet, I had an idea of projecting this image of the American flag on the backdrop. Because of course, as you know, not only have we been through this pandemic, but also through racial reckoning, uh, through George Floyd and so many people um, who were murdered in this country. And so the flag that had been used in this political way as a sort of cudgel, both literally and figuratively, right? And seeing those images and seeing how it was almost used as a way of saying you don't belong. And then I was thinking about jazz <laughs> as this American art form, and certainly for African-Americans. Um, I was thinking about modern dance, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I was thinking about the fact that when I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout. So symbolism was always a positive thing, but it was being used in such a negative way. So I wanted that flag projected on the black body uh, in this one moment in 4-4 to kind of represent a statement about I too sing America, as Langston Hughes uh, said in his poem. So it it goes all over the place from exuberance to intensity and back to exuberance. So it's really exciting and audiences have been loving it as we've toured it. When you're talking about jazz behind you, for those who are watching us here on this session, see the famous A Great Day in Harlem picture that's right behind Robert. There's also though a picture of a young man behind you and uh, he looks pretty familiar. Why don't you pick yeah. that up for us and, uh, and tell us about that little photo there. This is me. As a, as a little type there, right? This was um, one of those, you know, where in elementary school, I think I was in the first grade and we were, we had to do our photos, you know, those photo day. And my mom dressed me in this shirt, kind of not very different from what I'm usually wearing now. Through the Zooms that I've done and all of the things that we've been doing the past couple of years, I like having that behind me to remind me you know, of innocence and, and, and that looking forward um, as it's, it's, it's not so subtle, but subtle, but it's for me as much as it is for the viewer. It's a great picture of you. And you've talked about your relationship with your mom through the years here on WBGO. When you yes. see that picture, you obviously think of her too. Yes, absolutely. And I think of how shy I was and not wanting to be in that picture. <laughs> but also um, she, who was actually my cousin, but raised me as, as, as mom, um, was the one into the arts. You know, Even when I think about the programs, I know we're going to get there, uh, but some of the selections of music, you know, from Nina Simone to Ella Fitzgerald, works that I've choreographed, is a kind of ode to the music that my mom listened to and introduced me to when I was this kid back here. Um, so it has a lot of resonance. These performances that are coming up at uh, NJ Pack as part of this national tour are exciting. Which ones do you want to highlight this time around? Well, I'd love to highlight, I mean, my 10th anniversary program, which I love for, for the reasons I've mentioned is really, for me, it's about the music. Um, it's several works of mine created over the course of you know, one was created in the in the 90s 
up to now, which is 4-4. Um, so you really get a sense of the breadth of the work. One work that I love, it's a solo called Inside, uh, and it's to the singing of Nina Simone, singing Wild as the Wind. Just It just reminds me of when I first heard her voice. And when I first heard her voice, it was a song called Sugar in My Bowl. And I remember, I've never heard anything like that. Uh, all the way to a work, a duet, a love duet that I created uh, called Unfold. And that's to the singing of Lantine Price. Lantine Price was the first kind of superstar as a black soprano in the operatic world, uh, as I know it. And when I first heard her voice, I thought, it feels like the closest thing to, 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 to <laughs> touching, you know, the hand of God in a way, not to, to be religious. But what I'm saying is the sound felt like something that was out of this world. Um, such beauty. And so Unfold reminds me of when I first heard her voice. Um, and then a work called Love Stories. And that's the music of Stevie Wonder. Fingertips, one of his early recordings, live recordings, which people will relate to uh, that wonderful music. So I feel like it's it's sort of this soundtrack, not only of my life, but of this country and certainly of African-Americans and how these voices uh, moved people. You know, I think that's sometimes taken for granted the notion of how the arts and certainly song and even pop music was a part of a being a change agent, right? And marking time uh, as, as, as we've gone along in this country. And so that's just some of the works that I, 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 I'm very excited about. So one of the other works that I'm very excited about, it's by Jamar Roberts, who many people know this larger than life dancer that he was in the company but now he's moved on from dancing and discovered his choreographic gifts. And I commissioned him to do a work uh, a few years ago and it was called Members Don't Get Weary. Um, and he's just blossomed. So I made him our first ever resident choreographer uh, and he's made a couple of works for the company. And during the pandemic, uh, he made this work called Holding Space. And really it is about how we've had to hold space, not only physically, you know, when we were in the studio, we had, you know, it was all taped off little boxes that you had to remain in. Um, you could exchange, but you couldn't be in the same box. Um, and so he kind of took that um, and made it into a work. And then how we've had to hold space for each other in this time of tumult and of being so afraid, the fragility of life, the fragility of democracy. And so holding space really encapsulates uh, this kind of idea of holding space for each other. So it's quite, quite beautiful. We congratulate Robert Battle on his 10th anniversary as artistic director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. You can see my entire interview with Robert Battle on the WBGO Facebook page. A couple of New York City musicians spent time at a chamber music retreat in rural upstate New York during the early months of the pandemic. Their planned two-week stay morphed into three months. As WBGO's John Kalish reports, 
The thriving folk dance scene they were exposed to in the Adirondack Mountains ended up taking their new musical project in an unexpected direction. In June 2020, clarinetist David Krakauer and pianist Kathleen Tagg arrived at a farm in upstate New York for a chamber music residency, thanks to the nonprofit arts group Hill and Hollow Music. Their host, it turned out, was an avid folk dancer. One of the things that I was missing and that I complained about was that the dances had all been canceled. Angela Brown is director of Hill and Hollow Music. So, you know, I talked about this with David and Kathy, and I think they were kind of fascinated that the thriving dance culture exists here in the Adirondacks. When we were up in the North Country, in that atmosphere, the seeds got planted in our head. Clarinetist David Krakauer. Oh, this is very interesting. There is this little doorway here. That doorway led to an album based on recognizable dance forms, including a hornpipe tune. Hornpipe is both a dance and music form that dates back to the 16th century in the British Isles. Krakauer and Tag's new band is called Mazel Tov Cocktail Party, and the music for its debut album was written during their chamber music residency. The goal was to create a musical celebration of diversity by including a polka, a square dance, a Jewish hora, and this calypso track. The band's vocalist is a black French-Canadian rapper and soul singer known as Sarah M.K. Percussionist Martin Shamanpour is an Iranian immigrant. In addition to Krakauer and Tag, the band is rounded out by jazz bassist Jerome Harris and Yoshi Fruchter, an Orthodox Jew who plays a mean funk guitar. We invite people to come as they are and try to make a place for that within a very, very diverse and unexpected band who you would not expect to be playing a square dance or a polka. Co-founder Kathleen Tagg says being yourself in a band like this is key. We're not asking them to be something that they're not. So we're not going to try and make a square dance that sounds like we are inside a square dance ourselves, but we're not. Check it, hold it down on the floor. Tip, tip, tone till we move some more. Step to the front, everyone in line. Land a hand if you want to have a good time. Oh my, it's quite the party. Get on the good foot, follow Crappy, turn around. Krakauer's klezmer-infused clarinet playing is the musical thread that runs through these tunes inspired by calypso, polka, and hornpipe music. Combining klezmer with other ethnic dance music has a long history, says Frank London, a member of the Grammy Award-winning band The Klezmatics. Klezmer musicians have always played a mixture of so-called Jewish particular dances like the Bulgar or the Cher, and co-territorial dances, the polka mazurkas and waltzes and all these other dances of our neighbors. That's part of the tradition. 
The initial recordings for Mazel Tov Cocktail Party's album were done remotely, so it was only after several months that everyone in the band met each other and performed together for the first time in the Adirondack Mountains last summer. Bass player Jerome Harris. We've been seeing each other on Zoom meetings and hearing each other on the audio recordings and seeing each other on these music video pieces. So it's like, finally! (laughs) It was really quite a rich homecoming, you know, in a way, a musical homecoming. The Mazel Tov Cocktail Party project was conceived in response to the climate of polarization and negativity we live in. Co-founder David Krakauer says that in the process of spreading some musical joy, he hopes the band will remind audiences of our common humanity. We just found that it was so important to try to put this message across. I think we all need to be reminded of empathy and a deeper understanding of the other. I think we all need that reminder. Mazel Tov Cocktail Party recently finished a tour of France. The band hopes to put together an American tour. It'll return to Europe in August. For the WBGO Journal, I'm John Kalish. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. Stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz station on WBGO and WBGO.org.